1: on the Badger Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. Welcome to Badger Prime. Now, here is your host, Mike Heller. So we welcome you back in for another year of Badger Prime. We've been away for a while, but here we go. The summer has kind of gone away, and we jump back into it. In fact, on Friday night at 6 o'clock Central Time, they'll put the ball on the sea in Wisconsin. and South Florida, we'll kick off the college football season for the Badgers, I'm Mike Heller. Welcome into Badger Prime, Jesse Temple of theAthletic.com is my co-host throughout the year, and we welcome Jesse back in. And so here we go. You know, one of the things I think is always interesting is we get we get into the summer season. And you go, oh, the first game's 90 days away, and it just seems like that. At least for those of us kind of on the outside, on the periphery, that it, that it's here and here it is. And uh, they'll open Wisconsin football will with high expectations. Maybe not as lofty a number as they had going into a year ago, but I think there are a lot of people, Jesse, that believe that this team, with what they will put on the field beginning uh, Friday night, has a chance to have a very special
0: year again. I'm one of those believers as well, and I've said before that I think this team has an opportunity to be much better than the one that Wisconsin put out on the field a year ago. The question is, will that translate into more wins? That's harder to say because of how difficult the schedule happens to be this year with those Big Ten crossover games against Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. South Florida certainly won't be easy in the opener, and an improving Big Ten West. To me, this is the most wide open the West division has been since the Big Ten went to its east-west divisional split. But you're right. Offensively, you can go across the board, But they've got four wide receivers now that are extremely talented with the addition of Quintez Cephas and a defense that now that they are healthy and more experienced, I think we'll be able to control the line of scrimmage better.
1: It's the uh, 131st season of Wisconsin football. The expectations probably begin with the Heisman Trophy candidate. Um, Jonathan Taylor uh, brings to the table accolades that are a a bit ridiculous. So let me start with a couple of them. Uh, Taylor... Through two years in his career, no players ever rushed for more yards in two seasons than Jonathan Taylor. Herschel Walker is second. Ron Dane is third. Jonathan Taylor had the most rushing yards ever for a freshman. Adrian Peterson was second. Ron Dane was third. He has the most rushing yards in a sophomore season. Troy David is second. Leonard Fournette is third. I think until or unless you actually lay these things out there, you kind of take for granted how incredible he's been. It's heady stuff. It's, Joel Klatt said it's the, for two years it's the greatest career ever for a college football running back. The accolades are huge. Doke Walker Award, Heisman Trophy candidate. He's going to run behind a new offensive line. I want to get to that in a bit. But Jonathan Taylor is special. You've been around him for, for his whole time here. What makes him so special?
0: Well, I think he's clearly driven to be great. And I had an opportunity to talk to him and running backs coach John Settle as well during the off season for a story that ran on the athletic last month about where he wanted to improve because, yeah, he's run for four thousand one hundred seventy one yards. It's almost four hundred more than Herschel Walker through his first two years in a career. And yet he's trying to put together a package to show NFL Scouts that I am the best running back in the country. And in order to get there, He wants to be more of an every-down back. So you look at the numbers that he's compiled, and a lot of it came on first and second down. He wants to be there on third downs. He wants to be a better pass catcher, a pass blocker. And when I talked to John Settle, he put up some pretty lofty numbers. He said that he thought Jonathan could potentially catch 50 passes this year. Now, I think there's going to be a big jump to make from eight that he made last year to get to 50, but I certainly think it's not... Uh, out of the realm of possibility for him to get 30 or somewhere in that area. So I think it's his consistent drive to not be satisfied with what he has accomplished and then become even better than what he is, which is the best running back in college football right now. Yeah, and
1: I think one of the other things that we'll talk about this throughout the year, and and I did and certainly you did a year ago, is how he's handled the attention. He he seems to, to always be willing to talk. Uh, sometimes, you know, I think you lose sight of how good he is at that part of it. But he's handled all of this, and everybody I talk to, and you see it more closely than I do, says that he's the hardest-working guy that's there, which is a kind of one of those rare combinations.
0: Yeah, it is. And you mentioned the humility that he has. I, that was something that I noticed right away, and I remember talking to Dakota Dixon, the safety last season, and he said that he felt like there were times where Jonathan didn't necessarily know how good he was. And I also think that's part of his development and maturation as well when I was talking to John Settle is that when you're a leader, everyone looks to you, but you've got to be more of that vocal guy. And basically you have to go onto the field and have everyone recognize that you are the baddest dude on the field. I think that was how Alec Engle, the fullback, put it last yeah. year. He, he met with you know, the fullbacks and the running backs. They speak before the last practice at the, the end of the season, and Engle turned to him and said, you're the baddest guy on the field. And I think that that's a mindset that Jonathan has to take as well. That He is he is humble. Uh, he has been that way throughout his life. But you have to take into account just how good you are and make people feel how good you are too. So that's another part of his development.
1: So I want to take you back. We won't make this the Jonathan Taylor hour, although we could. Um uh, But I want to take you back to the the eight catches a year ago. So in order for Taylor to make that next step as a multiple threat running back, last year they thought he was going to be more involved in the passing game. And he wasn't because of a a myriad of reasons.
0: Why is that different now? Is it just the maturation or is it more work done in that area? There's been definitely more work done in that area. And Jonathan said himself that he felt like last year – he wasn't quite as confident in what he was asked to do, whether it was making a read, running a route. We made a lot about this last year because in spring practice back in 2018, Paul Christ would spend the first 15 minutes or so of every practice working one-on-one with Jonathan on route running. Uh, and so we just assumed, okay, this is going to be this huge jump, and it didn't. It wasn't necessarily there. Part of that, of course, was Garrett Groshek was so good in that yeah. role, but I do think that he's worked very hard to be better in that area. And I also feel like Wisconsin is going to find new ways to utilize him to get him in the ball in space because Settle told me, if you get him one-on-one matched up with a linebacker, it's all over. Jonathan's going to win that battle. So get him the ball in space and let him go to work.
1: So we talk about, I mentioned earlier, about replacing an offensive line. So there will be those who say Jonathan Taylor's ability to run the football without Michael Dieter and Bo Benchall and David Edwards and Tyler Biotich and Cole Van Lannen, Um you, you, when, when we talk about that area, why is there such great in, confidence in the ability to have that great running game again with so much departure on the offensive line?
0: I actually think that this offensive line is in position to do very well this year, and they just don't have the household names. I mean, last year there was so much pressure on that group. They had a Sports Illustrated cover before the year. How many offensive lines have an opportunity to do that? And it almost seemed like no matter what they did, they were not necessarily going to meet expectations.
1: Let, let me just back up one step. I, I said without Dieter and Benchall and Edwards, they returned Tyler Biotich and Cole Van Lannan, not without. But they, Dieter, Benchall, and Edwards all gone, so as
0: you continue. And and John Dietzen as well, who retired from injuries in the offseason. But I think, as you mentioned, Cole Van Lannan and uh, Tyler Biotich are two big reasons why I think the offensive line can succeed. Because Biotich is... Maybe inarguably the best center in college football, certainly from a ratings perspective when pro football focus compiles every game and all the plays. And Van Lannen is up there as well. I think he was the highest rated left tackle in college football. He just didn't start very much. He had one start, but he played more snaps than Dietzen. But even beyond that, you've got guys like uh, Jason Erdman and David Mormon, guys who have played in 40-plus games. They just don't have a ton of starts. And even some of these younger guys, I know that offensive line coach and coordinator Joe Rudolph is very high on this group. He's had a really solid top eight since spring practice, and it's been the same top eight through this point of the season. And they can rotate, so that's another good thing. If one guy goes down, they can put someone else in, and that is part of the reason why I think this offensive line will be very good this season.
1: All right, so we'll jump into all of the different areas. There's been so much to unpack in an off season, including in recent the last uh, couple of weeks as the changes in this program continue to go forward. We'll kick it off on Friday night at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. The game will kick at 6 o'clock. Our network pregame coverage begins at 4. So we'll get you all set for the Badgers and the Bulls as we continue on this edition of Badger Prime. As we continue on Badger Prime, Mike Heller, your host tonight, and I welcome in Jesse Temple from TheAthletic.com. So we talk about expectations. We jumped into that a little bit in the first segment Expectations on a Heisman Trophy campaign, a reinvigorated passing game, expectations for resurgent defense with a ton of young young but experienced talent. Let's talk about the throw game because we went through a first segment without mentioning the quarterback Chase, which wasn't really, it didn't really develop into that. Jack Cohn was the incumbent uh, with the departure of Alex Hornibrook. Graham Merch, the newcomer on the scene, Chase Wolf competing, uh, Danny Vandenboom competing. It didn't ever become a full-fledged fight, as those on the outside thought it might be. Jack Cohn took ownership of the job early, and he has held it and earned it, and he will be the starting quarterback on Friday night.
0: I have a story about this that ran this week on The Athletic, talking about what Jack did to put himself in position to be the starter, and it started off the field. We heard a lot this offseason about his leadership and his increased confidence he made a concerted effort to go do that. I mean, when we talked to him earlier in the week, he mentioned that he would try and sit with a different player at the lunch table every day. He would try to organize events where he could hang out with players outside of the football facility and... by loss. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Leads other players to believe that you can be that type of leader. And I know Paul Christus said before that he didn't feel like Jack approached things any differently, but that his teammates viewed him in a different light. But clearly, as you said, he was with the first team offense throughout spring practice. I think some of that had to do with the experience factor, the fact that he did start four games when Alex Hornibrook was hurt last year. But at a certain point, it was not just he's in there because he's the most experienced. No, he was earning those opportunities. So he remained with the first-team offense throughout fall camp, and I thought he was clearly the most consistent player at quarterback. We had an opportunity as media members to watch eight practices in their entirety during a 10-day span. So it gave us a pretty good idea of where things stood. And he could he could complete shots down the field. I mean, he would lead four touchdowns during a scrimmage, yep. four touchdown passes. Meanwhile, you had Chase Wolf and Graham Mertz working through Being young, and I think that that is part of the maturation process at quarterback. I know a lot of fans really want to see Graham Mertz right now, but still, he's a true freshman quarterback, and he had to learn the install during the first week. You know, he had some struggles with overthrows on passes and it all comes with just learning the system. To me, the most entertaining quarterback battle was that backup competition yeah. because Chase Wolf and Graham Mertz went neck and neck, back and forth, and that's why both of them are listed as co-backups on the initial depth chart behind Jack Cohn. So
1: give me a Jack Cohn perspective. What we saw in the Pinstripe Bowl, I think uh, the second half, especially fourth quarter and overtime against Purdue, we saw what Jack Cohn can be, but I think we also saw it more in the Pinstripe Bowl. Where does he relate, in your view to what we'll see beginning Friday night to what we last
0: saw in Yankee Stadium in late December. Yeah, I've said this as well over the offseason is that I feel like fans have sort of pigeonholed him into being the quarterback that he was last season and I don't believe that's fair because I think he's going to be much better this season. The circumstances that he encountered last year were incredibly difficult. All four of his starts came either on the road or at that bowl site in the pinstripe bowl and they were completely contingent on whether Alex Hornibrook was healthy. So it's not just the confidence in the leadership. I, I think it's Wisconsin, in order to succeed offensively, is going to have to be able to take some deep shots down the field. And in the, in the story that I wrote, I mentioned that that was an area that he was not particularly successful in last year. Now, it was a smaller sample size, but you know when he threw nine yards or fewer last season, he completed 74% of his passes. When he threw a ball that traveled 10 yards or more downfield, he completed 20.8% of his passes. Again, it's a small sample size, only 5 out of 24 passes on throws that went 10 plus yards. But I think that's an area that he's improved. And they're going to need to show that improvement this season for Wisconsin to succeed. The good news is they've got a heck of a wide receiver core for him to get the ball to.
1: Yeah, I want to get there and let's go there now. Um, As we talk about the wide receiving core, it looked different up till about two weeks ago. In fact, about eight days, seven days ago is when it changed. That's when Quintez Cephas was reinserted onto the active college football roster. The story is deep there. At some point, we'll dive a little bit more into the process that played out. But for now... Quintez Cephas returns, hasn't played football for Wisconsin in 22 months, but he joins a wide receiving core that includes A.J. Taylor and Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor and Quintez
0: Cephas. The last time we saw that group together, they were pretty dynamic. They certainly were, and I do think that the addition of Cephas completely changes the dynamic of the offense and what he can provide. When we saw him last in 2017, he was clearly the number one wide receiver on this team, and then he broke his leg against Indiana, didn't play the last five games. Uh, And he was in position last season to continue on that pace. But you're right. There's a difference now between being in good shape and being in football shape and also knowing the offense. Because Paul Chris mentioned there have been some subtle tweaks since the last time he was on the field back in the 2017 season. But I know that coaches are confident that he's going to have some type of role against South Florida this week. And how he practices will sort of um, let them know what that role will be. But the more that he gets those opportunities, the better he's going to be. And I don't think it's going to take very long for us to see the player that he was before. Uh, and that's just going to help drastically what this offense can do. Uh,
1: a little insight here. I visited with Ted Gilmore last week, and he said that, that what Quintes does from a study perspective has allowed him to step back in. He said in the first two to three practices that he had zero mistakes because he is so diligent in the film room about what he does. I think people lose sight. Some, some people probably... Look at Quintes and see, he, he's a great athlete playing a, an athletic position, but Ted tells me that his study habits are second to none and that his want to and desire to be smart as a receiver is one of the things that
0: may separate him from nearly everybody else. And I think that's a great point. From a pure football standpoint, the thing that teammates mention is his physicality his ability to go up and get the ball. But they also mention some of those little things like blocking up a play. It's sometimes wide receivers don't want to do that stuff. They just want to get the ball. Well, Quintes, for as talented as he is at catching passes, is willing to do those things. And I think that also goes in to his film study. And the other thing is people look at him and they want to follow him. You know, Paul Christ has said before that he considers Quintes to be a connector of this yeah. team, a unifier. People from different groups and different backgrounds, positions, they want to be around him. And so when you see the type of study habits that a guy like that has, you want to do that too. And so that only makes this team better.
1: Let me, let me, take, let me uh, slide back and marry the, the two conversations about the quarterback and the receivers. I think uh, the view with Alex Hornibrook is extended plays didn't exist very well. It didn't throw the ball very well on the run. When the pocket broke, we were uh, Wisconsin was in some trouble. What does Jack Cohn bring from that part of the game that maybe those wideouts that we're talking about might also benefit from maybe some better legs, feet,
0: footwork that the quarterback uses? I certainly think Jack can do that better than Alex did. And Jack, as a high school quarterback, wound up rushing for over 3,000-plus yards. Now, that is not his number one skill set, and he would be the first to tell you. Uh, he is a pass first quarterback, but if he needs to do that, he can. And I go back to the touchdown run on the bootleg that he had against yeah, Miami. Right. Obviously they completely fooled the defense, but it showed that he's got some escapability can get out of the pocket and, and run. So yeah, I think that is part of his game. I don't think it's as much of his game as Graham Mertz and certainly not Chase Wolf, because with Chase, that's his number one skill set: is his improvisation skills, his ability to get out of the pocket and make something out of absolutely nothing. But I do think that that is something you will see more of from Jack than what you did with Alex. As we talk about
1: uh, the offense and the throw game, um, not mentioning Jake Ferguson yet is a mistake. And that's, I mean, because he is another wide receiver, despite playing the tight end position. I'm talking about the threat that he provides, especially when defenses have to cover up on those wide receivers we just talked about, and Jake Ferguson can get mismatches. I've always looked I looked at Jake since he started last year and I see him as a Sunday football player down the road at some point that gives him a, a, a tremendous opportunity with those wideouts and
0: the running game to be successful again this year and maybe more so than last. Yeah, when it's all said and done, he's probably going to be the best tight end in the Big Ten. Whether If it's not this year, it'll be next year. And he was second on the team last year in catches. He had 36 receptions. 456 yards and four touchdowns and so he's a safety valve but he can catch passes in traffic and if ever Wisconsin needed one singular tight end to step up in a season it would probably be this simply because there is almost no depth behind him due to injuries yeah Luke Benchwall is out Gabe Lloyd is out for the season those were potentially your numbers two and three tight ends coming into the season you know you have Seth Currens who's now playing tight end but has transitioned from safety to linebacker and then you've got a couple true freshmen Uh, In Hayden Rucci and Clay Cundiff. And so that means Jake Ferguson is kind of the guy in that tight end room, which he was going to be anyway. But in some sense, it's even more at another level now. So I know they're going to use him a lot. And to have him in addition to those four wide receivers just makes the offense even more dangerous.
1: Yeah, and and I want to also uh, quickly talk about depth at the running back position. So Jonathan Taylor isn't going to play every snap uh, as the tailback, even though he wants to be a three-down guy. He's not going to be the every guy, every down running back. Who's next? How does that depth look on this team? And Because some people are going to
0: wonder who's next because this is likely Jonathan's final year at Wisconsin. Well, Garrett Groschek right now is listed as the backup running back in the first official two-deep that was released for this South Florida week. Yeah. And I think he's obviously going to have a significant role and probably more so than he did last year when he was mostly a third-down back. But he could, he could run for yardage, he could catch passes, he could pass block. Um, and there have been some instances, which has been widely reported during fall camp, that the Jonathan and Garrett have been used together on the field at the yeah. same time. And I think that is clearly beneficial because the coaching staff always says, how can you get your best 11 on the field? And Garrett has put himself in that position as a leader and as a contributor. But even beyond that, one guy, one guy who impressed me during fall camp was Nikia Watson. We, we talked a lot about him last season. It didn't really come together. He took that redshirt year. He is so powerful as a downhill back that I think he kind of mirrors what Taiwan Deal gave this offense last year. You know, there's a difference in practice that's always funny because they don't tackle a lot of times, yeah. but when they go to a scrimmage and you have live tackling, it's a lot harder to wrap him up, and all of a sudden he went full steam ahead for a nine-yard gain in a first down. So I think he could potentially be that third guy. And also don't forget about Brad Rickshaw, who's been coming back from that ACL injury and I think can find a role in some way. We come back with more in a moment. You're listening to Badger
1: Prime from Learfield IMG College. Back with you on Badger Prime. Mike Heller and Jesse Temple from TheAthletic.com with you as we will be throughout the season. Wisconsin opens on a Friday night. They'll do so in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium against Charlie Strong, South Florida. Bulls His record in now his third season, 17-8. and eight. South Florida's a team, we'll get to them a little, uh, at the end of the conversation, but the interesting facet, I think, in the game, South Florida was was buried in rushing defensive statistics, I think, 122nd a year ago. Wisconsin was sixth. That would give you maybe an... With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckylandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary, void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
1: An indication that the game begins on the ground, but I think Wisconsin's uh, offensive approach is more versatile than just that concept.
0: Oh, I think so, too, based on certainly what we saw in fall camp. I, I think that this offense has a chance to be much more diverse than what we saw last season, and the coaching staff understands that they have to be. You know, If you look at last season, Wisconsin ran the ball uh, most of the time, and the only teams that ran the ball more in terms of percentage of plays that were drawn up all ran some form of the triple option, so that should tell you how much they relied on the rushing attack last season, and they know they have to be more balanced. Paul Christ has talked about this consistently, and he's been asked about it repeatedly, so even though they'll probably have some success on the ground, they want to be able to open it up and show these other guys what, what they can do. And I think it'll instill confidence in the offense as a whole to be able to do that in the opener.
1: Let's jump to the defensive side of the ball for a bit, if you don't mind. So on the defensive line, Isaiah Loudermouth, Bryce, and Williams, Garrett Brand are listed as the uh, the starters in the original, the initial depth chart look at Wisconsin. They lose Alive Songapolo, TJ Edwards, Ryan Connolly, uh, there's a Dakota Dixon. There, there's there's a lot gone, Andrew Van Genkel. a lot gone from last year's defense. However, there's a lot of talent that returns that got experience because of injuries a year ago and now matures another year that the the idea of this defense is that they should be better than they were a year ago statistically and in performance on the field as it measures in
0: wins and losses. And I'm working on a story about this right now, actually. If you go through this too deep, I believe 12 of the players earned their first college start at some point last season, which should tell you how young they were. They were just decimated by injuries, and it started even in the preseason when Garrett Rand suffered the Achilles injury and Isaiah Laudemirk was coming off surgery and couldn't stay healthy, and you opened last season with two defensive ends and Matt Henningsen and Caden Lyles, who had never played in a college game, Henningson was a, a redshirt freshman walk-on, and Lyles had to flip over from the offensive line. Well, now you've got Rand, Rand and Loudermilk healthy, and you've got Bryson Williams there at nose guard. I think that's going to make a world of difference because, to me, the biggest reason this defense struggled last year was in the run defense and the inability to stop it up front. And in 2017, when they had three senior defensive ends, they gave up on average 0.4 yards per rush before contact, which was number one in the Big Ten. Fast forward to last year, They gave up 2.1 yards per rush before contact, which was 11th in the Big Ten. That's almost two yards per rushing attempt before anyone gets their hands on the guy with the ball. Well, that makes a huge difference over the course of a game.
1: Yeah, and that was a lot of injury related a year ago, as we're talking about. So give me an idea of how that front seven, because the linebacker replacement is also significant from what it was a year ago. They love their talent there. But let's uh, kind of run down what we get in the front seven for the Badgers defensively.
0: Yeah, well, since we kind of ran through the, the defensive line at least a bit, I'll, I'll go to the linebackers yeah. and the two names that probably stand out the most because fans have seen him on the field are inside linebacker Chris Orr and outside linebacker Zach Bond. Orr has played in 36 games with 16 starts. You know, he's waited his time. He was a starter early in his career. Then he had the season-ending ACL injury in a first game against LSU and last year there just wasn't a bunch of opportunity for him to get on the field because TJ Edwards and Ryan Connolly were so good but he is a leader he's incredibly talented I think he might wind up being the leading tackler this year Zach Bond is actually the leading returning tackler but the other two spots are are younger guys Isaiah Green May is the other starting outside linebacker he really flashed in spring and even more so in fall camp he's a really unusual build for that position he's 6'6 and only 221 pounds But he's rangy, he can get after the quarterback, and he's so long that he can uh, cut across passing lanes and just make life a nightmare for a quarterback. And then the other inside linebacker spot is Jack Sanborn, who was the highest-rated recruit in the 2018 class, and he played last year in a reserve role. Now he's elevated into a starting spot. But I think even the reserves uh, are in position to succeed, and and Leo Chanel, to me, is a guy who's going to be a star here. I don't want to hype him up too much. But he's from Grantsburg. He's an in-state kid. He is so physical and strong, and he makes a lot of plays. So as a third inside linebacker, that's a pretty darn good option to have.
1: So Jimmy Leonard, uh, you know, and this coaching staff returns in full, which makes a big difference. There's not much in the way of transition when you bring everybody back. And and Jim Leonard uh, has a secondary to work with that a year ago was so terribly inexperienced at times. But that pays dividends now, right? So what Jimmy Leonard can work with in the secondary is a group of mainly underclassmen, but so many of them getting uh, their feet
0: wet a year ago that it should really help in what they're doing. If you look at their two-deep at cornerback, all four of those guys started multiple games last year. The starters as of right now are Fayon Hicks and Deron Harrell. Hicks started 11 games. Harrell started five games. Rashad Wildgoose, who's currently listed as a backup cornerback, started seven games as a true freshman, and Cesar Williams started a number of games as well. Now, the good news is, because they're all healthy, Jim Leonard can rely on all of them. I think he's certainly going to use all of them, and when they go to their nickel package, you could see potentially Rashad Wildgoose as the nickel guy, and so they're going to get a lot of snaps, and even at safety as well. It's, it's young talent, but Scott Nelson, he started eight games last year. Reggie Pearson suffered some injuries, but he got his first career start at Michigan. He played very well. He had five tackles, and he forced a fumble, And Eric Burrell, who started six games last year, is now listed as a backup safety. So I think there is just a ton of talent there. And as long as they can stay healthy, uh, this is going to be just such a better defense this year.
1: Does it change what, uh, and this is philosophical, so you you may not have a specific answer, but does it change what Jim Leonard can do defensively um, with some of the talent and now that there is some experience? Because maybe, and I'm guessing, it had to be a little simplified with players that just hadn't been on the field
0: much or together. I think what it would mean, philosophically speaking, is that you could potentially take more chances because you have more confidence in your defense. If you don't have that confidence, and that comes from just not knowing how these guys are going to perform under the lights because they're doing it for the first time, you may be a little more vanilla, a little more bland, and if there's a mistake, you know, maybe that affects the mindset of these players, but now it's sort of that been there, done that type of situation. So to me, that's where I see philosophical changes, but of course, we won't really know until we get to the opener against South Florida.
1: What in some of the in some general terms here? What did you learn in the scrimmages that maybe you didn't know as camp was getting underway? Because that's always to me, and I'm not there in training camp on a daily basis like you and and some of the many of the others are. What did you not know when camp began early August
0: that you think you know now? I think it's the quality of personnel, and really, a lot of times I'm looking for okay. Who's occupying this spot? Who came out of nowhere that we didn't necessarily see? I mentioned a couple of these guys, but the two defensively that stood out the most because you didn't know where they were going to wind up were Isaiah Greenmay at outside linebacker because during the spring he was with the second team defense. He moved up to the first team when they went to a nickel package and safety Reggie Pearson who, as I said, played in four games last year. He is so physical. Whenever there was a loud pop during spring practice and I looked up, it was either Reggie Pearson or Leo Chanel it felt like. So to me, that is a part of it, is who are occupying these new roles like Jot Seltzner earning the right guard spot because there were four guys competing for two starting guard spots. That's what stands out the most to me. But I just think the quality of talent overall uh, is really good and really encouraging if you're a Badgers fan. So this Raymond James
1: Stadium deal coming up uh, against South Florida on Friday night. um, Numbers, uh, as I mentioned earlier about Jonathan Taylor in this game, but I think that... Wisconsin, after this, they don't play another road game for 50 days. 5-0. But in that run of games, it includes Central Michigan, which is a week from Saturday, then a bye week before Michigan and Northwestern, then Kent State, then Michigan State. So I guess what I'm getting at here, two crossover games before you play your first road game, and the crossover games are significant with Michigan and Michigan State and later on Ohio State. So as we begin to look at expectations about this team, we think they'll be better on the field. The schedule is also more rugged, more difficult, more tested than it was a year ago.
0: There's no question about it, and a big part of it is those crossover games, but another part is just how good I think the West division has become and how wide open it is. Because a lot of people are predicting that Nebraska will win the West, even though the Cornhuskers went 4-8 and last season. I mean, they showed a lot of improvement at the end of the year. They went 4-2 and in the last six games. And I think a lot of people are putting stock in Scott Frost in the year two effect, because when he was at Central Florida in his second year, they went 13-0. and That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen at Nebraska, obviously. But you're right. You look at that five-game stretch, and Michigan really dominated Wisconsin in the second half last year in Ann Arbor. The offense couldn't do much. They ran 49 total plays, and the defense just sort of wore down, and Wisconsin lost that game 38-13. Northwestern ran away with the division last year. They went 8-1. and one. I think they go underrated a lot of times. People yeah. focus on the Iowas and the Nebraskas and the Wisconsins, but they they won the division by three games. And Michigan State, too, certainly never easy. I think those teams have developed a great rivalry in the last several years. We're going to know an awful lot about Wisconsin by the time we get to that first conference road game at Illinois on October 19th.
1: Yeah, there will be a lot learned in an eight-day stretch September 21st through the 28th when Michigan and Northwestern come to Camp Randall in back-to-back Saturdays. But for now, we'll focus on South Florida. That's this Friday night, 6 o'clock is the kick time, just after 6 at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. We continue more bigger-picture items to cover, but we also haven't gotten to special teams. We'll get to that as well as we continue you're listening to Badger Prime, and we continue from Learfield IMG College. As we continue on Badger Prime, I'm Mike Heller. Jesse Temple from The Athletic.com sits by my side as we get you all set for Friday night's season opening game. So we've talked in bigger picture about expectations. I want to get back to that in a minute, but let's talk about special teams, the third element of Wisconsin's program on the field coming up Friday night that we haven't talked about. There's a turnover. Hafiel Gag- Gaglianoni is no longer part of the program. Uh, special teams
0: are significant. Let's start with that part of the of the special teams, the kicking game. Well, Colin Larch won the starting job out of fall camp, and when before camp started, Paul Chris said that the competition was wide open. It was between Larch and Zach Hintz. I thought Larch was more consistent. Now, we haven't seen the last week or two of practices. That's when they close down and they get ready for the season, but there was one scrimmage that they had, it was 100-plus play scrimmage, and Larsh made all three of his field goals, and Hints made two out of four. But I think there's a scenario where Hints could be used too in long-range field goal scenarios. They brought him out last year to attempt a 60-plus-yard field goal, and he actually has the state record. I think he had a 61-yard field goal for St. Mary's Sta- uh, Springs. And so he's got the range, but they obviously have to have, to have some accuracy. And, and Gaglianone had an unbelievable career. He's the all-time made field goals leader. But last year did not go as he wanted. It was not as accurate and as consistent. And we've seen in one-possession games that makes all the difference in the world. When you get to the 30-yard line, you've got to know that you can put a kicker in there who's going to be able to hit a 47-yard field goal, other than the alternative being it's 4th and six. Now we have to go for it or we have to pooch punt it. I mean, that is kind of deflating if it's 4th and six and you don't get it or you got to punt the ball away.
1: Anthony Lottie is the listed number one punter. That element of the special team's continues to need to be a little bit better and I think they have faith
0: and confidence that it will be with Lottie. I think so too. Anthony went through a tough season last year you know he lost his starting spot for about five games he got it back in time for the pinstripe ball I think that was really important uh, just for his confidence going into the offseason and I think he'll be healthier this year you know if you noticed last year he wore a brace on his plant leg throughout the season. And that obviously has to impact you in some way. Now, Anthony didn't talk about that much, but I think when you see that, it's it's kind of evident. And so I think, yes, he'll be more consistent. This is his senior year. It's time for him to step up in that role. And they need it because that's how you flip the field. All right. So let's
1: talk about the other part of special teams in the return game. You and I have talked uh, off the air on my show separately from this conversation that the The return game hasn't been as dynamic in recent years, not just last year, but in recent years as it needs to be, maybe since David Gilreath was handling
0: returns. Can it be, and are they counting on it, being more dynamic now? Paul Christ has said that they need to be more explosive in that area, but if you notice, they've got the same guys who were in those roles last year, so obviously they have confidence in them. Jack Dunn earned the starting punt return job. He averaged about 5.5 yards per return last season. I don't think they had the success that they wanted in that area as a team. They only averaged 4.8 yards, so they need to be better there. Aaron Cruikshank as a kick returner, he's the type of guy that when he gets the ball in his hands, he has the potential to break a big run at any moment. I think he'll be better. He was a true freshman last year to earn that job as a true freshman, speaks volumes about his talent. So the potential is there, but now they've got to go show it on the field. I've asked you this, and we've gone through this as
1: we've gone through the different phases of Wisconsin, both offensively and defensively. But from a name perspective, as we'll repeat, as from a name perspective that the fans may not know today, but a month from now, everybody's going to know in the first four or five games that this is you know, a household name for Wisconsin. Give me a handful of new guys that will fall into that category.
0: Well, I know I've mentioned him before, but Leo Chanel is the yeah, guy that immediately them, stood right? out to me in spring practice. That if you follow social media at all, he posted some video of him bench pressing uh, 225 pounds like 30 plus times. It's just an insane amount. He, he is so physical and so strong and he can make plays. And again, you know, I, I know he hasn't played a college game yet, but to be a true freshman, to be in the two deep and potentially be the number three inside linebacker at this stage speaks to how talented he is. And the other young guys that I've mentioned, Isaiah Greenmay and Reggie Pearson, because they've both transformed themselves into starters. Uh, Josh Seltzner as well. So those are guys that you haven't seen them on the field uh, a bunch, if at all. But they're going to be big time contributors. Reggie Pearson did was his initial
1: real coming coming out party at Michigan, and and he had some moments there where you're going, oh my goodness, right? I mean, he, he's an explosive, aggressive
0: member of the secondary and that's I think what you're talking about. I talked to him during fall camp and he was in position last year as a true freshman to make the two deep and the day before the season opener he got hurt he said he he was going they were going through a walkthrough he was on the scout team he leapt up to deflect a pass and when he landed on his heel it was awkward and he tore a muscle and that is so frustrating for any player mentally and, and confidence wise and he didn't get back until that Michigan game and because the defense was so depleted he wound up starting and I thought he was fantastic, especially considering it was his first college game. He had five tackles, he forced a fumble, and then he got hurt again. And he wound up playing in four games, which is the maximum you can plan to retain a redshirt. So he's a redshirt freshman this year. It was almost a blessing in disguise. But when he was in Michigan in high school, he's in the top 15 in high school history in that state for interceptions. He had 21 interceptions in high school, and that doesn't happen by accident. So he's a playmaker, he's a hard hitter, and I think Wisconsin fans are really going to like what they see out of him.
1: Give me an idea for those because we've gotten this deep into the show and, and only just briefly talked about Graham Merch. So People want to, people are going to be interested in the red shirt concept because I think ideally Wisconsin would love for him to earn the right to play. And in a perfect world, he would play and yet retain the red shirt. How does that maybe play itself out? And worst case scenario, let's—is he next in? On Friday night, if Jack Cohn had to leave the game, even if it's for
0: three plays, is Graham Mertz next in? I asked Paul Chris essentially this very question after practice. We're not going to know, are we? <laughs> and I, I said, You have two backups listed as your co backups with Graham and Chase. If something were to happen, God forbid, to Jack, who would you go to? And he said, They'll both be ready. So yeah. he's playing coy a little bit. Um, it's a hard one for me to answer. I mean, I, my gut would tell me that probably Chase Wolf, um, but. It's hard to say because I thought Graham really closed the gap, especially in the second, third week of of fall camp, just because of his development. Yeah, let me back it up to there because there was a slow
1: start. All of that learning and the install and thinking rather than just playing. But from all the people, including you, that I've talked to in the last 10 days or so of Camp Graham Mertz
0: made big leaps forward. He really did. And there are some passes that he makes, and you just kind of look around and you go, well, that's why they got him. He delivered a dart. It was a 35-yard touchdown pass to Aaron Kruikshank during one of the practices. He kind of threw him open, and those are the plays that he can make. It's just a matter of how much can you pick up, everything that you have to in the offense. And I think, obviously, the longer that he's here, the better he's going to be. There's a reason that they got him and why so many other schools... Uh, wanted him as well. But to go back to your redshirt idea, I think that's got to be a, a part of the thought process. Now, Paul was asked about, do you go into a season thinking you're going to redshirt Graham? And I thought he made some good points because he has talked a lot about Jack Sitchy and his situation and because it shows that games aren't handed to you. You know, Jack uh, tore a muscle in his, uh, in his chest area, I believe, and he missed the second half of a year. And then he wound up tearing an ACL the next year. Well, he never played in another game again for Wisconsin. So Paul always says if a guy is ready to play, we're not. who are we to say that he can't go in and play? Having said that, if you've got two equally talented quarterbacks, I think both of them are going to play, but I think it would be wise for them to consider uh, Graham not playing in more than four games if those games are only going to be potentially in the fourth quarter. Any concept of what we see on the other sideline from Charlie Strong's South Florida Bulls
1: on Friday night?
0: Yeah, this is a tough one, too, because South Florida started the season 7-0 and last year and became the first school in FBS history to then lose six straight games. They have a new offensive coordinator this year. He was the head coach at Division II Valdosta State. They've still got Blake Barnett, who's a really talented quarterback, but Jim Leonard said this, too, when we talked to him this week. Sometimes this early college football part of the season, it's really hard to know what they're going to do, so they're watching what South Florida did last year. They're watching tape on Valdosta State. They want to get the ball in their playmakers' hands, and Jim feels like they, at the skill position in particular, in a school in Florida, there's a lot there. So it's kind of a wait and see. That's what's exciting about the opener.
1: And weather could be a factor. Although tropical storm or hurricane will wait until Sunday or Monday to hit Florida, it still will be close to 90 degrees with high humidity as Wisconsin gets ready to take on South Florida. I'll come back and wrap things up in just a moment. Jesse Temple from TheAthletic.com, thank you. As we continue, in just a minute, this is Badger Prime on Learfield IMG College. One final time back with you on Badger Prime as we continue. Wisconsin and South Florida, they are coached by Charlie Strong, who's in his third year at South Florida. The Bulls last year... Suffered down the stretch. They got off to a very good start. It is nineteenth ranked Wisconsin and unranked South Florida. Kick time is set for six o'clock. Our network coverage on the pregame show will get away get underway at four o'clock Friday afternoon. That's central time. I will handle that. Matt and Mike take over at five, and they'll kick it just after six o'clock from Raymond James Stadium. Look forward to it. Next week, we'll recap and look forward to Central Michigan for the first home game at Camp Randall Stadium. My thanks to Jesse Temple, and we'll look forward to talking to you from Tampa, Florida, as the Badgers take out South Florida. Thanks for listening to Badger Prime from Learfield IMG College.
2: This has been Badger Prime.
1: The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Badger Sports Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking
2: people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky?